This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week talking about the new bilateral health care funding deal for Ontario that was reached last month between the Trudeau Liberals and the Ford PCs. In addition to the $8.4 billion over 10 years and $776 million right away for urgent needs, there is a commitment on both sides of helping Canadians age with dignity closer to home with access to home care or care in a safe long-term care facility. While filling in for Libby on Monday, I was joined by the Zoomer squad to discuss the importance of this statement and how best to achieve the commitment. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Peter Mugridge is senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravit is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. I think that there's a danger that the whole healthcare discussion, and we'll get into the funding, is moving into the area of performance art, where they all know what they need to do. It's this stately dance. They all know their steps on the dance floor, and you'll do this, I'll offer that. We'll have a study group over here. And nothing concrete emerges quickly enough, uh, in my view. So I'm a little bit... I might be spoiled by years of watching Mm -hmm. this and watching nothing happen. They are geniuses. If they were a tenth as good at managing the healthcare system as they are at acting like they're managing the healthcare system, then we might have a better system. Perfect. Well said. (laughs) Uh, Peter, do you want to add to that? Yeah. I I mean, David's David's been watching it for longer than I have, but... um, I think it's important that home and community care gets on the agenda anyway. You know, if they had left it off, we would have been, um, you know, uh, pounding our fists on the table. So I I think it's a good thing that it's on. But as David said, uh, you know, aside from the stately dance, there's not, um, you know, there's not a great deal of money here to do anything but keep the system going, you know. And, and, you know, uh, someone, I think the head of the hospital association said it's barely going to cover inflation over the next 10 years. So. Um, you know, everyone's lining up to sort of, um, you know, see what they see what will what they can get out of of all this health money. But I don't think there's a lot of health money. I think it's, you know, it's a nice injection, but it's not enough to transform the system. So um, until then, we'll see these stately dances and, uh, you know, um, lots of, you know, nice statements publicly. But whether whether there's enough money to actually do anything or, you know, that remains to be seen. Bill, over to you as the chief policy officer for CARP. Uh, and and you've been talking and CARP members have been talking for years about the importance of moving towards more home care. Uh, how do you view that statement? Well, certainly, uh, I, and I agree with uh, with both what Peter and, and David has uh, have uh, said. It's a small amount of money, but at least they're talking about it, and hopefully they're talking about it more 
seriously than uh, David might uh, expect, but it's not enough money to make real change in home and community care that we need. And what really is needed is a complete reset of the system. Money is not going to solve uh, the problem. There's not enough money in uh, in this agreement to uh, do an awful lot than just uh, uh, keep the keep the status uh, status quo. As the hospital association said, we really have to look for actions that look at the entire home and community care system and how we make changes in what's already there and not just think that throwing money at it is going to improve the system. So in effect, David, changing the way we spend our money so that we can prioritize home care, which is less expensive than long-term care. Okay, but having prioritized, yes, exactly, but having prioritized it, what, doing what exactly? Right. Here's the, yeah. here's the, what I consider to be the bait and switch, that they go into a room, they negotiate this health care accord, we demand X, we're getting a little less than X from the feds, and the underlying premise is if only we had more money, then it would be fine. So let's fight for more money. But Canada, again, fourth from the highest among OECD countries in spending on health care as a percentage of GDP. Our spending level is near the top. And many, many, many other countries that are spending less are getting better outcomes. Why is our spending at the top and our outcomes at the bottom? And the the... The con here, and it is a con, frankly, is that let's get more money. If only we had more money, by magic, everything would be fine. But they right. need a complete rethink. To Bill's point, they need to reset the whole table. And until they're ready to do that with specifics, okay, aging in place, aging at home, how, what? What are they not doing that they're going to start doing? What are they going to stop doing that they shouldn't have been doing? Where are the details? And until we have those, it's just all for show. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. The deadline for filing your 2022 tax return, if you owe money, is May 1st. If you owe money and file later than May 1st, you will be charged interest on the amount you owe. If the government owes you money, you can file anytime. But before you file, do you know of all the tax breaks that may apply to you? Two experts join me on Monday to take your calls and questions. Barry Choi is a personal finance expert, and Bruce Ball is vice president of taxation at CPA Canada. You know, a lot of things at CRA are uh, automated, so I would hope or expect, I suppose, that uh, uh, some of that uh, will carry on as usual. For example, I think if you file your return, you'll be able to, you know, still do that and get proof that you filed on time and that sort of thing. I think anything that involves involvement of people will be what takes longer. And I, you know, and in terms of refunds, what impact that'll have, I really can't speculate on that. And, you know, it's important to note as well, Barry, that there has been no strike called by CRA workers. It's just that uh, federal civil servants are, a lot of them are taking strike votes right now if indeed they wanted to give that mandate to the negotiators for their new contract. Well, you know, having worked in a union before, 
I think that's always like, you know, something they want to talk about to uh, push the negotiations forward, if you want to put it that way. Right. I think for the average consumer who's worried about filing their taxes or filing their taxes for the first time, that won't have effect on them in the grand scheme of things in the sense that, hey, as long as you file on time, uh, you've done your part of the job. If, if it takes the CRA longer to review your file, that's on them. Right. Okay. So let's assume it's business as usual when you file your taxes, regardless of what's going on in the background here. Uh, The government has introduced or expanded some of the tax credits that Canadians may claim. So uh, if you're both okay to run uh, through the list of possibilities, um, I can begin with you, Barry. The Home Accessibility Tax Credit, uh, which is available for eligible home renovations or alteration expenses aimed at making a home safer or more accessible for a person with a disability, including an older person, right? That is one of the tax credits available, and it's very interesting because it's just obviously the government introducing different tax credits that can help people. Uh, but what I find interesting is how every single year they're very targeted, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Who knows if it's for political reasons, but that said, you know, I do think most of these new tax credits introduced overall are meant to help certain people. And, and as far as I'm concerned, every dollar helps. You know, when I was younger, those tax tuition credits definitely helped. Now that I'm a little bit older, I hate to say this, but, you know, I've claimed medical expenses. So, so overall, any additional tax credit is useful. Yeah. And let's talk about the those medical expenses as well. The expenses are can be up to the two previous years, right? Like 22 and 21. And they have to exceed a certain amount before they can result in a tax credit. Well, I'm not an accountant, so that's probably a better question for Bruce. Okay. He probably has a much better answer than I will. Okay, Bruce, uh, can I throw that to you? Hey. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, so it can involve two different years, but you are claiming it for one year, basically. So you're allowed to pick a 12-month period that ends during the year. Uh, for, I'll be honest, for someone like myself, where the uh, expenses are a little more regular, I just do it on a calendar year basis because it's easier, honestly. But uh, where it uh, you might want to pick a different year is maybe where you have one one or two major expenses and not a, a, a lot of ongoing expenses. But uh, and then it is reduced by three uh, percent of your net income up to a, a threshold as well. So actually, what a, yeah, I was just going to say one of the points I was going to say is use tax software because a lot of these things are complicated, mm-hmm. including the medical expense deduction. Final comments uh, as we prepare to file our taxes for last year, Barry. To you, <laughs> you know, I've already said this a few times, but just as someone younger, uh, using tax software, tax solutions such as TurboTax or any software that you're familiar with, it's always just the best and quickest way to maximize your tax refund. And Bruce Ball. Yeah, the adding on to what Barry said, the other good part about my account, the CRA service, you can use autofill and it will bring down a lot of your income and uh, uh, some of the other things. And it's a great way to make sure you don't miss reporting some income. Bruce Ball is Vice President of Taxation at CPA Canada, and Barry Choi is a personal finance expert. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, Chinese interference in Canada's elections, a major concern or political maneuvering? We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. 
Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This past week, the issue of Chinese government interference in Canada's elections continued to gain traction. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau insisted there is no need for an independent inquiry. He also told reporters that some of their questions about one Chinese-Canadian member of parliament amounted to racism. That was his response when asked whether CSIS investigators had warned the Liberal Party in 2019 that they had concerns that now Toronto Liberal MP Han Dong had received support from the Chinese consulate in Toronto. In addition, this week, the federal Liberals banned TikTok from government-issued mobile devices because the social media video platform is partly owned by the Chinese government, which could have access to user data. This move follows similar action by the European Union and the United States. Libby was joined by the Recovering Politicians panel on Tuesday and first addressed the issue of Chinese government meddling in Canada's recent elections. Glenn DeBearmaker is a former Toronto City Councillor. George Smitherman is a former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister. And Lisa Raitt is a former Deputy Leader of the Federal Conservative Party. Well, I think, first of all, we need to be very, very clear. This isn't about the Chinese people. This is about the People Republic of China government. It's the Communist Party of China that is seeking to infiltrate and to try to meddle in our electoral campaign. I have no doubt that this is exactly what has been happening. I think they attempt to do this all over the world. I think most foreign actors try to do this. But it would appear that they were successful enough that it caught CSIS's attention. So, yes, there should be some kind of political response to this other than calling people racist for being concerned the fact that the electoral system has been damaged. George Smitherman, I mean, the other thing uh, that kind of boggles the mind was that the prime minister's initial reaction was, hey, it didn't change the outcome of the election. Well, I think that um, I, I do accept and agree with your point about uh, Australia as a model for at least uh, some of the legislative framework that I think would be beneficial in that case, forcing people that are working for foreign entities to uh, register and uh, and such. I think that would be might might yet be one of the outcomes uh, from all of this. I'd say, you know, this is an issue that's got legs, whether the prime minister uh, is enamored with that or not. The investigative journalism and uh, partisan interest alone is going to keep that uh, keep that going. Uh, you know, Lisa has that experience from uh, from the national uh, level with uh, global security and the like. And I think, um, you know, I think uh there is a role, but I do think that there is a role for Parliament itself, for that committee to find ways to propose steps that would strengthen uh, uh, Canada against these kind of risks. Glenn, what do you think? Well, I think there's two things here. I mean, first is, you know, the general principle. Do we Canadians want foreign governments influencing us, influencing candidates, or trying to change the outcome of any election? I think we'd all agree the answer is no. I don't care if it's the Russian government trying to influence influence us or an Iranian government or a Sri Lankan government or an Indian government or a Chinese government. Uh, you know, Canada is very multicultural. So 
These, I'll call it debates from back home, if you will, are front and center here in Canada. They're front and center in many nomination battles. Um, so I, I think, yes, we have to stop this interference, and it's going to be difficult because, for example, I, I didn't know who owned TikTok, and I think if you ask the people on my street out here in Scarborough, do you actually know who owns TikTok? Nobody knows who owns it. So we have to figure out a way how we can stop these foreign governments from uh, undue influence on our, our elections. Saying that for the general picture, uh, specifically in this riding, you know, my scan of the Internet and, and looking into it, the, I, I can't actually find any accusation of any specific wrongdoing other than rumors that there were buses busing people into a nomination meeting. And, you know, you have three panelists here. All of us are going to laugh. Oh, my goodness. A candidate running for office busing in supporters to a nomination meeting? I mean, I started off in politics 35 years ago, and guess what people were doing 35 years ago? They were busing in their supporters into nomination meetings. Now, if that was done with foreign money, then that has to be rooted out and that has to be stopped. But the, the, the fact that somebody would say that this one candidate had maybe international foreign students sign up and use false addresses to go and vote for him in a nomination fight, that is a very serious matter. That's something that all all three political parties have had to deal with. Um, so, you know, the fact that CSIS has said we have a concern here, I think is very important and very legitimate. But I also do agree with the Prime Minister that it's up to each political party, the NDP, the PCs, the Liberals, to vet their own candidates. And they make the decision on, on whether there's truth to the accusations or not. And so far, I mean, I would challenge anybody on our panel today. Is there any truth to any accusations? Because I don't see I don't see anything. Glenda Bearmaker, former Toronto City Councillor George Smitherman, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, and Lisa Raitt is a former Deputy Leader of the Federal Conservative Party. Listen for Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel every Tuesday after the noon news. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. It's Shingles Awareness Week, and while it's not life-threatening, shingles is a viral infection that targets older people, and if contracted, it can impede your quality of life. It causes a painful rash that can turn up anywhere on the body. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. Many of us had chickenpox when we were children before the chickenpox vaccine. So for those who had chickenpox, the virus stays in the body for life. And years later, the virus may reactivate as shingles. The good news is there are vaccines that can prevent it. Libby was joined by a panel of experts to discuss. Dr. Alon Vaisman is an epidemiologist at the University Health Network. Dr. Tony Mazzulli is microbiologist-in-chief at Sinai Health. And Dr. Kim Feldman is program director of the Women's Health Scholar Program at the University of Toronto's Department of Family and Community Medicine. I see a ton of shingles, and it's interesting because about a third of Canadians will end up having it. Of course, as you mentioned, more common as you age, or certainly um, when people's immune systems are down. Um, but we see it at all different stages of presentation, so sort of from the pre-existing um, uh, tingling or pain prior to the rash, and then the rash, and then certainly as things resolve, it presents at all times. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, who would you say is most at risk? Uh, certainly, you know, we talk about people over 60, but it's even more um, common sort of the older you get and certainly can happen younger if your immune system is compromised. Um, and certainly if you're older, if your immune system is compromised as well. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Mazzulli, um, you're the microbiologist in chief at Sinai Health. Uh, how many people end up in hospital because of it? Not a, a large proportion. The ones we see tend to be, as Dr. Feldman said, those with a, a weakened immune system or those who are uh, very old, generally over the age of about 70, 75. Um, younger, healthy people uh, who get shingles or present with shingles generally are managed as outpatients in the community. And Dr. Vaseman, what is the range of severity uh, that that you see when it comes to shingles? So the majority of people will have a mild form that certainly can be painful. Uh, it'll look like a strip across the body, one half of the body with lesions that are certainly can be painful or itchy. Uh, but then people who are immunocompromised can have a disseminated form, which is that when the virus reactivates, it doesn't just reactivate in one strip. It can reactivate with many lesions across the body. And then in more severe cases, even reactivate and spread to the brain and to the nervous system and cause very severe disease where patients are admitted to the ICU, they're de- they have a decreased level of consciousness, and in, and in some unusual cases, patients can die from having such an overwhelming infection. And that's typically in patients who are severely immune-compromised. But the majority of people will simply have the, dis- the activation in one strip or what's called a dermatome in one part of their body. Shingles, uh, you can get it in your eye, and that's really bad for people. Yes, so it could reactivate in any uh, nerve in any of the body. And so if it reactivates in the nerve that innervates the eye, uh, it can cause a variety of manifestations. And then if not treated, it can cause blindness in the eye. So if anyone has uh, lesions uh, across the face, especially in the forehead distribution, it's very important that they get uh, seek care for that because if they do have that, it could be... Uh, a sign that they have manifestations inside the eye. Uh, There are two different kinds of vaccines. One was the earlier one. So uh, doctors, who wants to explain the difference between the two? Just one thing to clarify that it's kind of confusing with Zoster. As far as I know, it's the only infection where we vaccinate people who already have the infection currently in their body. So to clarify, when you're a small child, you're often exposed to this virus the virus you acquire, you get the chickenpox lesions everywhere in your body. Then the virus goes quiet or what we call latent. And essentially after that, just like all the other herpes viruses, it's incurable. It lives in your body until the day you die. And what sh- chickenpox does later on in your life, it reactivates, as I mentioned, as a, in one strip of your body or, or if you're very sick, disseminated. So it, what it does is it creates this, these lesions on your body, and that's what we call the shingles. But what happens is that later on in your life, because your immune system becomes weaker, it's more likely to reactivate. So one way we can prevent that is to vaccinate you. And it's sort of confusing why we would do that, because, you know, why would you vaccinate against the disease that's currently living in your body? The reason is to kind of remind your immune system of this virus to protect you from that reactivation. So in people above the age of 50, it's recommended to get vaccinated. In Ontario, uh, it is covered in certain age groups to prevent that reactivation. As a result, you can get pain from that. And sorry, just to answer your question about the Shingrix. So essentially, we had Zostavax, which was used previously, but a new vaccine that was rel- relatively newer in the last decade called Shingrix was developed that is more effective at preventing reactivation and pain. It's also more safely, can be more safely used in patients who are immunocompromised. 
Dr. Alon Vaisman, epidemiologist at the University Health Network. Dr. Tony Mazzulli, microbiologist-in-chief at Sinai Health. And Dr. Kim Feldman, program director of the Women's Health Scholar Program at the University of Toronto's Department of Family and Community Medicine. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Ellen in Kawartha Lakes called in during our segment on shingles and was provided guidance by Dr. Tony Mazzuli. I'm 60, almost 63. I would like to get the vaccine, but I'm afraid to get the vaccine. My partner, uh, without having gotten the vaccine, was brought down in 2020 by GBS, Guillain-Barre. And it is one of the also rare possible side effects of getting this shot. I'm Seeing him, I think I'd rather get the shingles. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, any vaccine or any medication for that matter that one takes, no one can predict what might happen in terms of side effects, and and certainly GBS is a possibility. And it it all comes down to sort of a risk-benefit and likelihood of um, getting shingles. Until you've had it, until you know, you don't know whether you're going to get a mild case or a severe case. So it's, it's always trying to balance the two. Uh, but in the bigger scheme of things, on a, on a population basis, certainly I think uh, all of us would recommend getting the vaccine. Jane and Scarborough called with a question about shingles, which was answered by Dr. Kim Feldman. I'm 63 and I have never had the chickenpox. My mother confirmed it when my sister had it when we were children. She did everything to get me to have it. My brother got it. I still didn't get it. Even when my children had the chickenpox, I never got it. Now, some people say that I can get chickenpox from shingle, from anyone who has shingles. And I don't know, should I get the vaccine? Because I've never had the chickenpox ever. The truth is that almost all Canadians, um, full stop, have had chickenpox, even if they're not aware of it. But if it is actually true that you've had no chickenpox ever, you still should get the shingles vaccine um, because it still can protect you. Pat in Toronto phoned about pension benefits and changes he would like to see. Those people who are fortunate to be working for government or be university professors, etc., they will have 70% index pensions when they retire. The rest of the world, you know, are lucky if they put some money aside. And Kathleen Wynne, I think, identified this because she wanted big increases in the CPP because otherwise uh, many people going into government-run facilities don't have any money or the money is 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 not being shown on their tax returns. It might be on their kids' tax returns. So we've got to find a way to increase our pension benefits and make it mandatory. I mean, uh, 
everybody's living a lot longer, so we're going to have to pay for people, you know, not just into their 70s, but rather into their 90s. So we've, we've had some fundamental changes to make. Dennis in Brampton called about the plan in Ontario to use private clinics for some public procedures and surgeries. The difficulty I have with privatization is every time we've done it, and it is, there is a lot of it, it ends up costing the public system more. And the current example is the um, outsourcing of the cataract surgeries to the private clinics, where they're being paid 20 to 30 percent more as a premium to do that same procedure that is done in the hospital. And we also know with respect to home care that there's a lot of price gouging going on there as well. And we spent a good deal of the program talking about the amount of money that we have to spend. So if we're going to be paying premiums for uh, care that's currently done in the public system, that's just going to exacerbate the problem. John in Peterborough called to say he wants the public health care system to stay fully public. The people that mostly want this privatization are people with lots of money. Now, years ago, when we didn't have that, they went down to the states and they paid. And good for them. They have the money. Now, if we have no privatization here and we keep it the way it's been for years, then those people that will be moving into these private companies to get more money, nurses, etc., well, they'll have a choice. Either go into the system or go down to the States. Now, they tried this before in the States, and most of them came back because they didn't like living there and what they had to live in. So no privatization whatsoever. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Danny in Etobicoke, who is in favor of keeping Canadian citizenship ceremonies as they are. My parents came here in the 50s. I remember helping them study for this test, all of the, 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 the pomp, the pageantry that went with it, and they still have the certificate up in their wall. It's just, it's unbelievable. I think we're just losing all the pomp and pageantry and the importance of what your previous call Where, where do they come from, Danny? Uh, Italy. So w- there was a language issue as well. Oh, absolutely. And and you know what? They 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 love Canada. It was a privilege. It was it was their honor to be here. It, it's just incredible that, that we're just getting rid of these things that mean so much. It, it seems like everybody wants to fast track. You know, fast food everywhere, and they they got to stop this. They've got to keep it. And, and like the previous call, the speaker said we. We have to put it back into where the importance of it and, and, and share that with everybody and make sure that when people come to Canada or any Canadians for that matter, that it, it is, it's a privilege to live here. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.